0: Even here in Canada, I think many people would have learned more from graphic novels in general. Because, uh, and don't fe- <clears throat> don't feel bad about it. Because here's a funny story: like, not many people, even in Canada, know know about the things I cover in my book. So mm, that's the thing. I think people out like um, outside of Canada might might think that. I'm sort of like talking about some secret Canadian thing that only Canadians know about but um in fact a lot of this stuff is is really completely unknown and and you know I guess that's sort of something against the education system but it's also I mean it hasn't really been written about to it's been written about to some degree but not in a great to a great deal so that's something against publishing as well it's something against journalism it's actually kind of remarkable that it's sort of like uh, such an important part of something that really shook Canada has really not been covered to, to to like any great length.
1: It's not just interesting from a historical perspective, but it's obviously very narratively compelling. It's the kind of thing you think that, you know, there would have been mm-hmm. some some big film about or what's your sense of why it just hasn't gotten out there in that way
0: the thing is so uh th- so this group the the FLQ um which is uh it was it was a separatist group but to uh, to distinguish it it was sort of um separatism through by means of violence so there's sort of two periods of this group there's sort of this better known version in 1970 where they actually kidnapped politicians, and one one was killed. So there's that. And that's kind of like a better-known version, and there ha- actually have been like some film adaptations in Canada about it. Not many, but um, other adaptations. And that was going to be the book I was originally going to do when I started this, because it, I, I knew about it. I, I knew a little bit about what happened before. But as soon as I started doing research about the the earlier period, I was flabbergasted by what by what I was learning, and then I and then I realized pretty quickly that th- this is it. This is the book. There's going to be a book too, and I will do like this later period in 1970. But for now, I just had to cover that 1960s period because um, it it re- it really is an un- an unknown unknown. Um, much of it is unknown.
1: That moment when you realize that, you know, this is going to be multiple books that are going to take, you know, multiple years of your life. Right. Obviously you've got a lot of experience from the publishing side of things.
0: Well, I mean, on a practical level, like I'm getting older. So there's, um, there's no guarantee I'll, I'll be alive.
1: This is such a graphic novel <laughs> cartoonist thing. And we, you know, anybody over the age of like 20 is like, well, I'm going to die soon. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean no, seriously, when like I mean I'm I'm 57, so like um I, there's no guarantee I'm going to be around in like in, you know, 6 or 7 years, which is at least how long it's going to take me to finish this next one. But yeah, so yeah. there's that issue. There's that issue. I mean, on the on the other hand, like this this second and last book, like what happens in the second book is is also like completely fascinating, so I'm really like excited to to start working in that full time. I've sort of done the drafts of it and so on, so that part I'm l- really looking forward to. And and like I said, I I I hope I hope I can finish it without like um you know
1: without keeling over on your drawing desk. <laughs> you allude to this at the end, but. Anytime you are writing any piece of history, certain things are going to have to be condensed and changed. And you 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 mention a few of the things that, for various reasons, didn't make it into this book. I am sure. I am sure when you had the realization that you wanted to cover the earlier time period, you were wondering whether it was something that you could fit into a single volume.
0: I knew pretty much that I could fit it into a single volume because um, it, co- it basically covers three periods of the FLQ. The, the crazy thing is is that there were these different groups um, that wanted to overthrow the Canadian government.
1: It was the 60s, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, so they were all unconnected. So like one group, and they didn't know each other too. So like one group would um, have their kind of haphazard bumbling plan to do do something. And then they would get arrested and thrown in jail. And then, and then an, a year later, another group would come along and then they would try their own version, uh, and they would get arrested and thrown in jail. And then, the, like, then you'd have a third group. And the thing that tied them together, other than their their desire to overthrow the Canadian government, was that um, they were all pretty bumbling in their in in their in their methods. Well, the other thing that tied them together, actually, is that <clears throat> they were fighting on behalf of Quebec, because they, Quebec is a French-speaking province in, in Canada, and so they believed that the colonizers that were the English um, uh, and represented by Canada, so initially they started to, you know, attack symbols of the colonizers, which were basically um, federal government buildings, like, you know, army, uh, like armories and so on, which were run by the federal government. And then the second, and then you'd have this, su- they were all like pretty crazy stuff. Then you'd have like the second group where the guy actually wanted to form his own army. And he literally set up a guerrilla army training camp deep in the woods. And he really expected, he expected to to attract like hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers, but all he could he could round up was 12 guys. And then you also had, they, they were so ill-equipped like, I mean, first of all, they didn't have... If you have an army, you need to... Like, they're basic things. You have to have food, right? You have to feed people. And so they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough supplies. But they didn't have enough weapons either. They barely had any weapons. Um, So they had... Their idea was to rob a gun store, right? Because that's where all the guns are in the gun store. It's logical. <laughs> and they were just going to, like, load up the trunk. and um, And that was, like... I don't know. They probably would have to to make a few trips to the gun store, right? Like, if you reload up the trunk, you can't can't do it all in one shot. So I don't think they really thought in terms of uh, long-term plans. Yeah, so it it was just, like, one bumbling thing after another. Um, And I'm not spoiling anything here because it's kind of obvious what would happen. But you rob a gun store with um, people who are poorly trained and things will go wrong. And um two employees of that store were, were were shot and killed by accident.
1: It is one of the more cinematic moments of the book like that that element of it specifically, where uh, one of the employees is shot by the police.
0: Right, right, because it's a gun store, so so, so one of the employees like pulled a, a gun from off of the wall or from a drawer or something, and of course chased chase the people who were robbing the gun store
1: they were wearing military fatigues by the way
0: right right yes they actually had this is the other thing they they did have enough money to actually um sew their own costumes uh sorry costumes um military fatigues and uniforms but but i think <laughs> uniforms is right. probably appropriate <laughs> yes in this instance right so um they had that at least they had their uniforms and um but yeah, as you said, so the police saw this guy with a gun, and they naturally assumed, well, that's that guy's the robber. So before he could even say anything like "stop, don't don't shoot," and then the police basically shot and killed him.
1: One of the things you said really jumped out at me: this idea that the English are colonizers, because and it's obvious from the book, and 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 I think you know good points are made as far as. French speaking residents of Quebec feeling like second class citizens, but there really was a colonizing problem in Canada in the same way there was here. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's very strange to be a descendant of these of these French settlers and consider someone else to be a colonizer of you. Yeah,
0: it's it is a funny thing, because of course, uh, and people at at the time would not have seen it that way, right? Because people just didn't talk about, you know, native rights and so on. But I mean, the, the, essentially, you you had a dispute between two colonizers because in in Canada there were there were two colonizers, so were the English and the French, and so or, so the English more or less conquered the French. So the French in Quebec actually had it pretty terrible. Things were terrible for for the French in Quebec. I mean. It, I, w- I won't get into so many details here, but it, it, it wasn't. Um, some of it was due to the, the um, to the English in Canada, but there were a lot of other factors. Like the church, the Catholic Church were running things in Quebec, and they run they ran the education system, and it was terrible. Terrible. Like for French speaking people in Quebec, um, they had almost no access to university. They were sort of streamlined into factory jobs. And they had, and as a result, they, they earned like half the amount of their English speaking counterparts. So there was, there was a, a tremendous poverty, uh, uh, among French people speaking people in Quebec right up until the, uh, right through the 1960s. So it took, it, it took a while. So I, you could sort of understand, like I'm, I could, I could sympathize with what the LFLQ wanted to do, the, wanting to overturn this, right? Things were pretty bad for French-speaking people, and so the FLQ were right. I sympathize with their with their desire to want to change things because things were were so terrible for for French-speaking people. It's just the way the, the FLQ went about it was was so was such a disaster.
1: I honestly can't tell from reading the book what side you come out on, but I guess value of at very least property destruction, you know, when it comes to attempting to liberate yourself. But then then there's the extra level of being very bad at that as well.
0: Yeah, right, right. And and the thing is, I mean, I'm by no means an expert in, in like other um, revolutionary movements. Um, I have read about others, but others, there are some there are some similarities, that whole bumbling aspect. It seems like, like almost every other movement at that time in the 1960s, other, other liberation movements had similar issues. Like probably the, the closest example uh, using an American reference um, would be exactly the weather underground where, where in 1970 you had um, three members of of the weather underground who basically accidentally got themselves killed because they were manufacturing bombs in this Greenwich village, um, uh, a part. Well, um, it was a, a house essentially that, that the, the parents of one of the members owned, and the parents didn't know that their 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 underground friends were were hiding out there, and um, so they got themselves killed because they were they were just manufacturing bombs, and so three people, three of them were killed, and two barely escaped with their lives. So, you do, you do have this, this, this sense of, um, this haphazard, um, mess. And the, the other funny story about that Greenwich Village bombing was that, again, <laughs> so many like haphazard connections here, but does the actor Dustin Hoffman, uh, happened to be a neighbor. <laughs> like, literally, he, he lived next door. Uh, there's actually f- photos online. So if anyone listened to it, you can look online if you type in Dustin Hoffman Weather Underground. So Dustin Hoffman is running out of his house. I think he's carrying something like a painting. He's like saving a painting from his wall. And, um, and, uh, with all the smoke coming out like be- be- behind him. And, um, somehow that one building completely collapsed. His building seemed to be okay, but he, he got out uh, just to be safe,
1: of course. Was this part of your extended research?
0: Yeah, I mean, I did, I did actually, you know, um, read, read about other, other movements just to try to get a sense um, of what else was happening in the world. Um, there are several other movements in, uh, in South America uh, that ha- seem to have this, um, this issue in fact, the FLQ was was influenced by one movement in Brazil, uh, who did political kill- kidnappings. So, yeah, it, it definitely was um, of the time.
1: Yeah, it makes sense, right? I mean, these aren't professionals we're talking about, and right. Certainly, the I'm going to say men because it's almost exclusively men. There, there's a yeah. There, there's an unfortunate wife who like, really gets screwed. Yes, yes. But it's just guys. It's you know, it's white collar guys just doing. Making bombs after work.
0: Yeah, exactly, and in, in many cases, this tended to be the case with other movements in the world, but definitely was the case with the FLQ, where a lot of the members were were actually teenagers. Where like sometimes they would recruit teenagers as young as sixteen. So like one incident in my book, I have um, them recruiting a sixteen-year-old and. They literally pick him up at like high school, his high school lunch hour. So like in between classes, his mission is to plant a bomb uh, in a factory. Again, how how could that not go wrong, right? But but it does.
1: It does go wrong. It seems clear to me that they weren't trying to kill people. There's just always, you can't account for wrong place, wrong time.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing too, The, the like the other difference between revolutionary movements of that era was that for the most part um their intention was not to kill people it was sort of the which is kind of hard to sort of grasp because if you're using like guns and bombs, how could you not uh, want to kill people kill multiple people in the process of- right yeah so so essentially for them like it was always um it was more of a symbol so the bombing would be a symbol against a t- um against a target. Um, like an armory, they would have you know uh, symbols and so on, a, a certain symbol, and so this was sort of also something consistent with, let's say, what with the, with the Weather Underground did, and so the FLQ did this too. So they would plant a bomb, but they would, after planting the bomb, they would alert the, I guess, the owner of the building. They say, "Hey, there's a bomb." You've got, you've got like five minutes and you've got to, you've got to evacuate. And so that was it. so their intention, and I just wanted to put this out just to like, to try to sort of like cover their bases on, on their behalf, is that their intention was, was not to kill people, even though, of course, that's what happened.
1: That specific instance is very interesting because, you know, the one time they decided that the bomb threat with somebody crying wolf, it it wasn't. Right, exactly. Yeah. What was your relationship to this material growing up in Quebec? Well, when I was growing up, like
0: all the, all the, um, all the events covered in this book were pretty much like all before I was born. I, I was born like just at the tail end of what happens in this book and in that period in 1970 I would have been 4 years old so I don't have any direct memories from this so and so when I was growing up it was like it was mostly over so I I I didn't get the sense um that people were still talking about it so yeah it was only until I was in high school that they in my high school class they showed a, a, a documentary on the FLQ and that's that's when I sort of really started to like, learn about it.
1: Over the decades, as the idea of Quebec independence has continued, what's your sense of what the public feels about these guys in the story?
0: You know, it's hard to know because, as as I stated in the beginning, like, so much of this is is unknown. So I I don't think people have an opinion yet of of this because almost no one... (laughs) Knows about <clears throat> uh, what I covered in this book, and and um, you know it has been covered a little bit here and there. There's actually a pretty good podcast by CBC about about um, some some of these events, and there's a there's been a couple books that have that have been made, uh, that have been published in the in the last few years about this. That covered some of the events, but for the most part, there's not. Very few people know about this. While I was working on this book, I would, you know, mention some of these events, and pretty much, sort of, to test like people's knowledge to see like, is it just me? Am I the only one who don't know, doesn't know about this? But every single person I've mentioned this to had no knowledge of, of any of this.
1: I was getting conflicting reports as, as I was reading about your your reason for leaving D and Q to make your own books. Some of them were attributing that to your previous book, The Envelope Manufacturer, and some of them were attributing it to this project. Obviously, it's been, uh, you know, as we said, getting, you know, eight years since that happened. Mm-hmm, Is this mm-hmm. something that you've been percolating for that long?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the idea probably came, um, it's definitely older than, uh, it's been older than eight years. I probably came up with the idea like over 10 years ago. <clears throat> and I really wanted to, so I really wanted to do this book so then I thought, well, first let me try to do. At that point, I had no book done at all, and I hadn't hardly done any cartooning.
1: You, you had been doing the same job since you were twenty three, and it exactly, like it kept yeah. you very busy,
0: right? So it actually there was a huge gap where I, I literally didn't draw for many, many years. So when I had the idea to do this book, I thought, okay, first let I should have at least one book done. So let me just try to get all my mistakes done. Uh, before I, because I really was like enthused about this book on the FLQ, so that let me get my mistakes done with the, a first book, and then you know hopefully this next one will get done. So then I had uh, variations drafts of that the envelope manufacturer done. So I kind of finished it up and I published it as a, as a book as its own book. Now the thing is. While I was doing that, I realized that had I s- continued staying at Drona Quarterly, there was no way that I would be able to do this book, the book called "Are You Willing to Die for the Cause?" Because it it it's, it it took a long time to do, and there's a lot of research. But I'm I'm you know also drawing, you know, just drawing it and writing it. That the, there's just no way you could, or at least no way I would have been able to do it with a full time job. And so. And a family. And a family too. At that, at that time, my family was quite young. So there was, um, yeah, there's no way I would have been able to do this. And so that was actually a very large impetus on, on you know, why, why I decided to, to step down from Donna Quarterly. And 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 of course, it was an important factor. Was that the people working at John and Cordley sort of like uh, let let me do this? People like Peggy Burns and the publisher and Tom Devlin, the executive editor, and Julia Paul Miranda and Tracy Heron. I mean, I can keep on going down the list, but the, the amazing, talented people and accomplished people at John and Cordley. And um, I'm very sort of on, like honored to have been working with all of them. And I'm really amazed at what they've done with the company um, since since I left. But like, you could see it obviously even many years before then. But so I knew I had no I had no concerns when I first came up the, with the idea. When I first approached Peggy Burns and Tom Devlin, they were the first two people I approached, and um, I didn't have any concerns because I was so so much in awe of their talents and I had I, I knew that they that they would be you know running the company in, in sort of the best possible way
1: yeah, but again this thing that you were effectively doing since you were in your early to mid20s it must be really scary to one day just not be doing that anymore I mean sometimes the scary part was
0: when I mean, obviously, I love John and Corley, so yeah. So th- there was that sense of feeling like, oh, uh, sometimes you know, sure. Sometimes I did w- wish I was I was still there.
1: Yeah, or am I doing the right thing?
0: Yeah, the, the 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 part where you know, am I doing the right thing comes in is like I was thinking when I was working on this book. Sometimes I really had some severe doubts, and I would I, in, in terms of like, can can I pull this off? And, uh, and then sometimes I would be thinking, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I've barely had any cartooning experience. How, how could I even think that I could just step away and do this book and, and like, you know, um, so yeah, there were a lot of doubts along the way. There were a lot of those, those kind of doubts along the way. And it just required a lot of discipline to just keep on, keep on going and keep on trying to, you know, pull through.
1: You mentioned the conversation with Tom and and Peggy and Julia, but what was the conversation with your family like? With my family? Yeah, I mean, as far as like, hey, you know, this steady job that I have, I'm <laughs> yeah. going
0: to become
1: an artist at this stage <laughs> of my life. Well, let me
0: see. Um, most well,
1: my three kids.
0: Um, one of them actually was not. He was not too happy about it, but I'm not. I'm still not really sure why. I think. I think he's fine with it now. But but uh, at the time, he wasn't thrilled. But um, uh, And then my wife was not too thrilled either. But, you know, she's fine with it now.
1: <laughs> I mean, I ask because usually when I ask the question, it's like, you know, what did your parents think about you becoming right. an artist? yes.
0: <laughs>
1: you weren't making comics at all on the side during that period? I wouldn't say,
0: like, during the 25-year period. I would
1: say, like there were long
0: long stretches some that could sometimes be you know 7-8 years and and then maybe do a little bit more and then um so for like that first book the envelope manufacturer was almost entirely done while i was still at drac quarterly um the summer that i stepped down i was basically just finishing it up because it literally came out like a uh, you know 6 months later so um yeah that was a product of of like Drawing really early in the morning, so because I had um, the full time job and then I had young kids at the time, there was a really short period between five thirty a.m. and seven a.m. when I could when I could um, basically draw, and uh, that was it. So that book was done mostly mostly with that kind of schedule.
1: Yeah, we were talking, and I mean, this conversation comes up all the time on the show. I think it partially has to do with just how long it takes for a cartoonist to make a book one of the things i've come to recognize is that again i you seem healthy i don't think you're dying anytime soon but mortality can also be a motivator you know when you realize that you don't have forever to do these things that you want to do
0: yeah that, that it definitely it definitely um makes me focus more you know and and like i said i have this goal for this other book that i'm really excited about and i'm um, because it's a great story and I wonder if I want to get it done. Um, so yeah, I definitely like know what I'm doing over the next six or seven years.
1: I also just mean from the standpoint of like taking this big leap and leaving the company you founded.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean the other, the other thing too was that, uh, I had, um, I had a younger brother who, I think this actually had something to do, like a a part of my decision because around that time, like literally, a year or so before I came up, the idea of 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 stepping aside from Down and Quarterly, I had a younger brother who died very suddenly, and he was only thirty four, and um, he died. Um, he had a brain aneurysm, and he, he literally like, one, you know, one day he was there, and the next day he was gone. Hmm. And um, and then I I I think I really started uh, having a different sense of life from that point and even even now it still affects me like we can't take anything for granted we don't i think since then i don't i never even like take for granted that i'll be alive in the next in the next year and i mean anything could happen at, at at any at any age and so that was that was sort of like and, and again that happened around that time um and i thought well if there is a I really want to do more cartooning. And I thought, well, if there's a chance, if I could maybe, if I could make this work, if I could pull this off, where I can have this like succession plan, um, for drawing quarterly. And then that way I can also like do some cartooning. I thought, okay, like, I, it's going to be my only, you know, the only way I can get it get it around to doing this because otherwise, like I said, it would never have happened if I was working full time at Drawn Quarterly. And that's the other thing too. Like, it's not so so that on the selfish level, that was I'm talking about, like from my perspective of wanting to do cartooning. But uh, the other really important thing is from the perspective of an art the the well being of an arts company in general that's actually a really good thing that i don't see happening very often like often you'll have a founder of a company could be publishing could be different kinds of arts company who'll just like hang on for dear life for like no matter what like that was your role when you founded the company and like your your role will not change until you die um and um I mean it could it could be you know it, it really depends on the on the context but it really is important to um to bring in new blood right to bring in new perspectives and um and to um and to sort of have uh and to have a change and I think I think that is that is good I mean 25 years that's a long
1: time and I'm seeing that in a lot of the content that Q is putting out in terms of like having just more diverse artists making books
0: yeah and that's and that's a great thing too because like um you know obviously there's been more of an effort in 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 recent years and um and uh and that's really important you know um but at the same time it's not like um it's not like everyone else was kicked out right so you like you still have like you still have um people who, cartoonists who were were, uh, with D&Q from the very beginning. So you still have cartoonists who were with D&Q from the very beginning and um, doing like some amazing work, fantastic work. I mean, like Seth and and Adrian Tamina and and Julie Lucet. And I keep on waiting for Chester's next book. I keep on asking him what he's he's up to. But so you have some fantastic cartoonists, um, but at the same time you have like so many Fascinating cartoonists uh, who are being brought on now, who 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 weren't who, you know who weren't there five years or seven years or eight years ago.
1: That group that you mentioned, I mean, you know, obviously we we lost Joe recently. Mm-hmm. He was in that that trio, and Julie was the first book you published.
0: Yeah, Julie say was the first uh, D and Q solo title um, and that, and she was soon followed. Um, by Palookaville, uh Seth comic book, which actually re- remarkably is still is still being published today as a as an as a hardcover anthology, a one man anthology, and um, so yeah, and Julie still just last year uh, D and Q published a book by Julie, and of course the the latest Palookaville came out a few months ago
1: because Chester just doesn't publish a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm really eager to, to to read his next book. I, 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 you know. I, hopefully, that's going to be soon.
1: The sense that I get, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but is that you had no expectations in the early days that you know that, that you were you were uh, publishing this, you know, a the, the, the quarterly, and just I don't know if it was everything just lined up perfectly. I mean, that's a wild roster for your first few books for like a brand new publisher and then you got you know the distribution deal um th- did you have any expectations as far as growth
0: in those days well i mean i've said it bef- this a few times before but a lot of it i think this is the case with a lot of successful businesses um a lot of it honestly is was a question of being at the right place in the right time And that, and that, um, had one thing I said before is that had I came around as little as six months later, possibly even three or four months later, I would have been too late and I literally would have missed. So I would have missed Julie Ducey, I would have missed Seth, I would have missed Joe Matt. And then, and then having, if I did not publish those three then Chester Brown wouldn't have come on board because he came on board um well partly because, I mean I offered more money but also I'm sure he wanted to be with like the the cartoonists that he had, he admired so much and then and then had all those people not uh been on board then um a young teenager in sacramento named Andrew tomina would not I mean, he he would have been influenced by them, but they may have been published by I don't know Fanagraphics or Kitchen Sink or something.
1: He was just a powerhouse, too, just right out of the gate. It seems like he would not have you know
0: wanted to publish with um, this startup company uh, because I wouldn't have had these other these these great cartoonists. So so it literally was a question. Like it literally was months. Possibly as little as three months. If I was like three months too late,
1: I would have missed it all. That has to be the most rewarding part of the job—is seeing the way everybody you mentioned has developed.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm again. It's I think it's I think it's absolutely the most rewarding thing because I was just talking about this in another interview today. How um, you take someone like Julie say. Again, the first run according to cartoonist, over thirty years. This happened over thirty years ago that I met her and started publishing her. And like, as recently as last year, she won the Grand Prix Prize in Angoulême, which is like the highest honor any cartoonist could win—not not just in France, but like literally in the the world of cartooning. There's no other higher art honor you can win. So it's uh, yeah, it's amazing to have had a front row seat to, to 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 have you know seen all of this, and then and then you have all these other cartoonists who um, who have been nominated for for prizes, which would have been unthinkable um, thirty you know tw- thirty or even twenty years ago.
1: I went to the New York premiere of Shortcoming.
0: Yeah. Oh, th- that's another level. Yeah, that's a whole other level too. I mean, then having a, a film adaptation like Adrian Tamina having a film adaptation where he had all, oh, you know, this incredible creative control. I mean, he actually wrote the script to the, the, the film as well and was, you know, appears to have been funny cameo. Yeah. I love this cameo. And, um, and of course he went on to become a, a New Yorker artist as well. So it has been really wonderful to, to see all that and to see like, to see them develop as, as cartoonists, Um like, all those people started out of the gate and like as fantastic cartoonists, but then to see them like just over the years, continue like challenge themselves and continue, um, doing this remarkable work.
1: Um, that's, I mean, that's just so impressive. You mentioned the possibility of Adrian getting snatched away from, from Fantagraphics at the time. I, has there been like a friendly rivalry between the two companies?
0: Um, I I would say I mean I would say so. It's just that um I mean I I haven't like I haven't known them that well over the years. I think um other people from D and Q have have known them better. But I you know, I think sometimes like things were um uh, sometimes things were, like, they may have been upset or something because if, if we took a, a, a fan you know, signed up a, a founder of cartoonist. But, um, you know, I think that, that hasn't happened in many years. So and I don't think it'll, I, it's not likely to happen. So, yeah.
1: There seems to be a mutual respect between the two companies.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. No, I certainly, you know, admire, you know, so much of what they've done. And actually, I mean, I was inspired by a lot of what what they've done. Like what, um, essentially, I remember like reading the editorials and um, the comics journal when Gary Gary Groth would still be writing them.
1: The fact that all of this came together the way that it did, as as quickly as it did, did it did it de- derail your plans to become a full time cartoonist?
0: You know, I guess it did because in in, in the beginning, I, I in the beginning, I was drawing. And then that ended pretty shortly afterwards within within that first year, so I mean it derailed it, but honestly, it was probably for the better because what i was do- what I was doing in those early years uh like i'm and I'm talking about when john and poorly started, so what I was doing in those early years were were um i my cartooning was terrible like over thirty years ago, so i'm I'm glad that um that that was that uh I think I needed I needed a long break to sort of like try to sort of I don't know get become more more mature as a as a cartoonist to, uh, to 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 make better work.
1: I think about all the time where I would be if Twitter existed when I was in high school. You know, like if if I had just put things out into the world like that. You know, because you think you know you think at the time. The art you ma- you're making is great, and then you look back on it, and you're like, I'm, "I dodged a bullet."
0: Yeah, I mean, that's as you mentioned about Twitter. Like, uh, it's true; it, it stays, it stays there. What you put online. I'm kind of glad that I didn't publish other things when I was 23 because I, I would have been embarrassed by it. So, I'm, I'm sort of glad that. I got around to it like at a much, at a much later age when I sort of had a, a better sense of, um,
1: of what I was capable of. This is a a huge project that you're not done with. So you certainly needed to have all of the skill set to pull that off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was reading an interview that you did right around the time that your last book came out and you said something along the lines of, you know, somebody asked you why it wasn't on drawn and quarterly and you, you, you felt like it would be a conflict. Um, at the time i mean it 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 is a weird thing to have um uh
0: it's it's a weird thing to have um your work published by um the company the company where you're the publisher and i mean even though technically i stepped down at that time
1: you don't know why they're publishing you
0: maybe yeah yeah that's the other thing too is like like there's no they don't have a choice um, so it is a weird thing. And, and honestly, even when I was doing this book, I, I didn't really know, I was just working on the book, right? I wasn't really thinking of what would happen, how it would be published. And it was only after I finished this book, this current book, like I think the day after I finished it, I sent a, a printout to Tom Devlin. It was like a submission, <laughs> you know, to see, and, and, you know, he's, he, he seemed to like it. So, um... I, uh, uh, because if he wasn't, if he wasn't in, enthused about it, then, um, I'm not sure. Like, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it'd have to like send submissions out to like different publishers.
1: You went head down on this thing and didn't show it to anyone until it was done.
0: Yeah. I, 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 there were literally maybe a couple of people. Um, one of them was Chester Brown and he was, he was a fantastic like a supporter and like there were a couple, as I mentioned earlier at some point in their interview, like I, I, several times they had like sort of like sort of a crisis of of confidence. Mm. And I honestly didn't, I I had, I doubted my my abilities and so on. So Chester was amazing. He, he, um, uh, he really helped me. He really helped pull me through this. And uh, so I, I think I said it to him like, three three times like sort of like uh around the first chapter kind of the, and then the middle of the book and then the very end of the book the same time I sent it to Tom and then also at the end I sent it to uh, a couple other cartoonists too uh, Hartley Lynn who's this fantastic cartoonist uh here in Montreal he, he um he did the book young Francis uh, and the combo book series Pope hats and then Pascal Girard, who's also another Montreal cartoonist, um, he's he's published um, uh, several great great books with um, with Drone and Cordley. So yeah, so they they were they were uh, it was really great um, and helpful getting their feedback.
1: I mean, Chester brings a really unique perspective because he's kind of written like the essential Canadian history comic.
0: We, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. He he has written the best um, uh, Canadian. The, the best um, book on a Canadian history subject. Um, and of course, just in general, he's a brilliant cartoonist. So um, yeah, it was really, it, w- it was really helpful to have his, um, his, his, uh, his guidance on this.
1: I think in a lot of ways, Kate's latest book is, is a Canadian history. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously it's told through her and it's a very, it's a very personal book.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, I mean, her book is also like I think one of the best books that, that Joanna Corley has ever published, and um, um, I'm referring to Ducks, and um, it, 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 and it is. It's dealing with history. It's it's dealing with personal memoir. Um, it's dealing with you know political issues, um, current events, and and um, uh, and it's it's told in such a, an engaging manner. Um, so, yeah, no, Kate is also another um, another fantastic cartoonist um, that, you know, she's been around. It's been actually, I think it's been about a dozen years now. It's been since she's uh, started out with the NQ, which is hard to believe. But, yeah, her first book with the NQ was in 2011.
1: Hmm. Was that Hark of Vagrant?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, very interesting career arc there.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Going from Hark of Vagrant to um to ducks. And um there are a lot of similar elements, but um but instead of having these one page uh strips, um you have this
1: really, really ambitious um like four hundred page story. One of the things you mentioned again and I think it might have been the same interview around the last book is that you really there was no time. There was no break between the two. They immediately threw yourself into This book is, uh, have you already immediately thrown yourself into the second? I, I mean, I have, but
0: it's, I'm still mostly in the draft stage. Like I'm still writing it. I've done um, like a lot of sketches and so on. I have sort of like an outline of how long, roughly how long it's going to be. But in terms of doing like from page to page, I I did a few um, attempts that I've sort of tossed out. It's always sort of takes it's it's always harder for me to start a new book and I end up like throwing out like quite a few pages.